0: Live. Live from welcome to New York. This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his ankle. Follow me. Follow me with freedom. He put Here's your host, Mike Phillips. Mike
1: Phillips. <laughs>
0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the Just in the Suffering podcast, which New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fam. Your host, Mike Phillips. We've got a lot of football coverage this month. We're going to take a little bit of a break before we get into NFL mode next week with the start of the season. We're going to get ready for the U.S. Open down at Flushing Meadow this week for the start of a tournament. A lot of stuff going on You're going to be joined just a bit by Chris Otto, our friend of the podcast, tennis writer. We're going to cover the big headlines of this U.S. Open. It might be Serena Williams' last open. So. A lot to watch there. A lot of wide open stuff on terms of who could win this thing. We'll break it all down with Chris in just a bit. We're also going to wrap up the summer here, get ready for some fall movies. We're welcome back John Stanko, uh, our resident movie critic here. We're going to sort of reset the summer movie season, what you like, look at some of the movies to watch in the fall. Always fun talking to John at the end of the podcast. If you like what you hear over the Justin Suffering podcast, feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the dual suspects simply search for just and the stuff on your favorite podcast platforms and we'll final episodes there. Fear for your feedback and star ratings. as well. It'll make the podcast even better going forward. So check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Yeah, video version of the conversation with Chris and John on the YouTube channel. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Without any further ado, let's get to our opening tip. We're gonna lay out the state of the pen races because August coming to an end. September on our wheels coming on Thursday. We'll see where things stand in Major League Baseball right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this?
2: The opening tip.
0: And here we go. All right, we are back here. Opening tip on the last Monday of August, getting ready for the real stretch run in Major League Baseball here. And things have gotten interesting, obviously, around the NLEs parts. we'll start with the Mets. And they have a successful weekend. They win three out of four against the Rockies. I was disappointed to not win yesterday. All, all in all, Mets are doing well. They are in a bit of a hitting funk. They do need to get out of it. For instance, Lindor is in a massive slump right now. He had a very bad week. Pete alonso has been a little cold, so... Those guys really need to get going. The good news for the Mets is that the Braves did drop two out of three to the St. Louis Cardinals over the weekend. So the NL East lead is at three. The Mets are currently 82 and 47. Atlanta is at 79 and 50. Think about this for a second how crazy this is, how this race has been wild. Obviously, the closest race in the league outside of the very pathetic American League Central. Yesterday, on Sunday, August 28th, was the first time since July 17th. That the Mets and the Braves lost on the same day. That's six weeks where whenever one team lost, the other made up ground. That is literal insanity. That shows you how great these two teams are playing. Why they're going to be the two and the four seeds in the National League going into the postseason here. And the Mets this week have a big challenge ahead of them. Because they have the Dodgers coming into Citi Field for a three-game series starting tomorrow night. Tyler Walker against Andrew Heaney. Jacob DeGroff is on Wednesday against Tyler Anderson. Their Thursday afternoon, they have a 410 getaway day game for the Dodgers. You have Chris Bassett against Dustin May, back fresh off the injury list. If the Mets can win two out of three here and possibly lose this series, the Dodgers are very good. They split back in LA. Now they are here. It's interesting to see what happens with this series because once you get past this series, they have a lot of potentially winnable games coming out here. You got Washington over the weekend. Pittsburgh, a road trip starting on Labor Day. Then Miami for three. The Cubbies for three. Pirates for three. I've talked about this all before. The Mets win two out of three here. They have a chance to really start stacking up these wins if they can get their bats going. And these are the kinds of bad teams and bad pitching stats that should really help them once they get past the Dodgers. The Braves, right now, they have coming off a, series, a rare series of losses. Carl's the first team to beat them in a series besides the Mets in a while. The Braves this week, you look at their schedule coming up here. They go. They have Colorado coming in there for three games starting on Tuesday. Then they host the Marlins for three. Sandy Alcantara's in that series from Miami. That's not going to be easy. Pablo Lopez as well. you got a big road trip out west. A gamer, Oakland, Seattle, and San Francisco. Then basically Phillies and Nationals are a few weeks where the Mets and the Marlins again. So This race is going to probably come down to the last week of the season when these teams meet in Atlanta for the three-game series of the last weekend here. The Mets right now at a good spot there. They are the top dollar. They are nine seven in the series, season series. They win one more game. Atlanta has a better record than the Mets, so that's certainly intriguing for sure. And right now, those two teams are playoff locks. The winners eventually the two seed, and they're going to be in the NLDS. The losers will be the four seed, and they got to play in the three game wild card series. Which is not going to be fun. Then they're going to get the Dodgers in the first round, who are running away with the National League's best record. So that is interesting. The NL, the rest of the NL playoff field right now, Cardinals are starting to build a bit of a lead on the Brewers in the Central. They are up six in the in the division and the five in the lost column. I'm trying to check out right now how many games left these teams have against each other and checking the schedule right now. The Cardinals they have gotten pretty hot hot down the second half of the stretch. There's only Two two-game series against Milwaukee left. Two in St. Louis on September 13th and 14th. Two in Milwaukee, September 27th and 28th. They also play the Dodgers and the Padres down the stretch. Oh, There's a lot of bad teams. So this will be tough for St. Louis to really give us up this play good ball. Wild card spots League, The Braves are going to be on the Mets. We're all losing easily the one seed. The Phillies right now two and a half up on the two seed. They have a pretty favorable schedule aside from their games of the Braves. They're done with the Mets already. Padres have that last spot right now. They are in a tie in the loss column with the Brewers. The Brewers have three games in hand somehow because of the unbalanced uh, schedule, because of the lockout. The Padres, we just learned lost from Tatis for the rest of this year into next year for the steroid suspension here. They have some tough work to do. They have a lot of games with the Dodgers left. The Brewers look at their schedule here. There's a lot of not great teams on it, but they also do play... The Cardinals again. They play the Yankees. They play the Mets. I mean, this this race with the wild card could be very interesting. There's a there's a realistic shot that San Diego misses out entirely, which would be pretty wild if they trade for Juan Soto. So that's your NL side. That's nobody else in the NL is really in the mix after after those teams. So it's basically seven teams or six spots. American League Yankees look like they were getting back on track. That's how they sweep the Mets. They win the first two in Oakland. They find a way to lose the last two, which is. Not acceptable split. You're going on the on the road playing a team that enters the series uh, 46 and 79. So they go two and two there. They don't lose much ground in the division because Tampa Bay is only is still seven and a half games out. They have two series left with the Rays, including one this week on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And Yank they they are going to miss McClanahan. It's going to be nice for the Yankees here. Cole is not in this series either for the. Ray so that's a benefit to them. They have two series, basically, in the span of the next week and a half. If Tampa doesn't make up enough ground, then this division's over. Because it's a seven-game lost column lead. The Yankees you know split those games, and they're not getting caught. Toronto gets swept by the Angels, not great. The AL uh, race for home field. Houston is currently in the lead. They're 82-47, and 47, up three in the lost column the Yankees. They have a season series tiebreaker, so I expect Houston to hold on to this. The AL Central Adventure 4 is a bit of a mess because none of these teams are very good. And if they're playing in any other division, they'll probably be buried. You look at right now the AL Central here. The Guardians are the current leaders at 67-59. and 59. Twins, two back. White Sox, five back. And let me say this. If you look at the NL playoff field, 67-59, and 59, you're out of the playoffs. In the American League Central, you're division champion. Go figure. Right now, the wild card picture is in the American League very tight between five teams. Uh, Tampa Bay, game and a half up on the first spot. Seattle, a game up in the second spot. Toronto, who got swept by the Angels, as mentioned, in the third spot right now. Game up on the Orioles, two in the loss column. The Twins are three back. White Sox and Red Sox are on the fringe of that, but again, not much room for error here for either of those teams. The White Sox better path than Central. Important to note here that whoever that last wild card is, is to get the AL Central winner, so... If you are, say, Toronto or Baltimore and you get the Guardians in the first round, that would be a nice draw for you. Whereas Tampa, Seattle, if that holds up, they would play each other and go into the Yankees series. That's a matchup on the Yankees. I do not want to see either of those teams. I would much rather see Toronto sneak in there because I think Toronto's pitching is in such a mess. They've been very inconsistent. Tampa has always given them problems, so I would not be shocked if there's an issue of Sears, but you're the Yankees. You're more watching, assuming you get through these two Tampa series without Hemorrhaging a bunch of games, and you're basically cruising the division. You're not catching Houston at this point. You're watching that Tampa Seattle situation to see who is in that four or five because Seattle is a team that has great pitching. They could throw Luis Castillo at you, they could throw Robbie Ray at you. Not, not fun. Tampa has McClanahan and a couple other guys in the mix that could give you problems. I would be very concerned about dealing with both of them. In your bracket, if you want to call it, if the playoffs come down to it, because the Yankees have been playing very well for about a month and a half, the five-game winning streak helps stem the bleeding, but losing two in a row to Oakland, not scoring anything in those games, is an issue. Plus, now you have Nestor Cortez on the IL with the groin injury, still not keeps him out. Again, the Yankees not going to miss the playoffs; they are going. The question is, what do they look like when they get there? For the Mets, they're going to the playoffs. The question is, whether they're the two or the four, and if you're the four, you're in a much worse situation. You guys have to burn Jacob Degrom, Max Scherzer to get to that playoff divisional series round against the Dodgers, and have a much harder path. You're the two seed. You are sitting there getting the winner of the Cardinals against the sixth wild card team, whether it's the Padres or the Brewers right now. Maybe the Phillies—they slump a little bit. You feel pretty good you're to the NLCS out of that formula. Yankees again get there play well when you're getting there because you don't want to be continuous kind of malaise for the rest of the season so we'll see what happens and that's what's going on in the baseball here a fun month of September on tap for the pennant race and up next we're going to get to our US Open preview with Chris Otto right after this call from last year's women's final courtesy of ESPN
1: How's that for an ending? She went
2: 10 rounds without dropping a set. She came in here ranked 150 in the world and she leaves the US Open champion. Say hello to Emma Raducanu. All
0: right, I am back here getting ready for the US Open tennis tournament. I mean, this is actually starting on Monday over at the uh, Billy Jean National Tennis Center over in Flushing Meadows. Join me. Once again, talk about the tennis. Is tennis writer Chris Otto is back with us. Chris, how are you? I'm doing great.
2: Pleasure to be with you. How are you doing?
0: Doing pretty good. I'm my favorite major of the year. I got. I feel like there's a lot of headlines going into this tournament. It looks different sort of feel than what we had last year. What are your big t- uh, headlines going into this tournament?
2: Yeah, it certainly has a different feel. Um, Serena being back is adds a lot of excitement. It, it being likely her last slam pretty much definitely her last slam i mean the legendary career of serena williams coming to a close in the united states on home soil place where she won her first major that's just incredible you can put aside the fact that she hasn't been playing well that she likely will not be at her peak for this tournament and just hope that she can find a way to get some wins in the first week and get the crowd excited you never know she's played in north america for a couple of weeks now and has struggled to to find you know her winning form but you have to feel if she hits another tick up and get, you know has has put in some hard yards in the last week or two she added a coach by the way renee Stubbs, just in the last couple of days so she's clearly thinking how can i solve some of the problems i'm having and get some w's that's the biggest storyline i have to think and then of course is novak Djokovic gonna play we think likely not because He's unvaccinated and he's probably not going to be allowed into the country, but we won't know until we have the draw come out tomorrow and otherwise Rafael Nadal questing for his 23rd major title, his third of this year against the competition, which is probably co-favorite Daniel Medvedev and then the rest of the field that is young, but certainly on the rise.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I want to start with the whole Wimbledon situation here. I mean, the Serena situation here, because that's the number one headline thing for everybody here. I mean, we start the, t- we find out, I think a couple weeks ago, this is going to be your last term. <laughs> ticket prices skyrocketed. Everybody wants to go see Serena come come back here for the last time. She doesn't do well in Wimbledon. She goes out pretty early. She goes out early in Cincinnati to uh, Canal, And I don't, I mean, it feels like the odds are stacked against her, like having like a storybook run here. But like, do you think there's any shot she has, she can make the second week here?
2: It's a possibility, yeah. I mean, you know, she hasn't had the greatest form in the last couple matches. I think she's gone one in three since she returned to the singles court at Wimbledon, but she hasn't looked horrible in those matches. She's not what we call match tough. She's not really, you know, winning the big points. She's not producing those those serves that she needs at the right times. She hasn't been far off in all of her sets. Well, some of them have been pretty ugly, but... Like like I mentioned, the fact that she added Renee Stubbs as her coach, what we've seen from her on the practice court already in New York is her working a little bit harder on court, playing a little more physical, willing to test herself, knowing that she's going to have to really just give 100% physicality. She's known for these practices where she just kind of stands in the center of her court and her coach feeds her balls, doesn't make her run a lot. Right now she seems committed to her movement. That could help her. If she gets a nice draw where she doesn't face top competition early, I think she could win three matches, which is what it takes to make the second week. Beyond that, I'd say unlikely that she makes this, as you say, storybook run to a title. Hard to imagine, but you just never know with Serena. And until she's out, there's that hope that she can produce something magical, which is basically what she's done for the last two plus decades.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'd love to see what happens to her there. Also, I want to take a look at the defending champ Emma Raducanow we mentioned earlier. She beats Serena in Cincinnati a couple of weeks ago. She had the Stormbrook run last year where she came out of nowhere as an unseeded player to win the whole tournament here. like, What do you think her chances are to repeat this year at, at uh, the U.S. Open?
2: I think there are some positive signs for Emma in the last few weeks. You know, Admittedly, she has struggled all season long to find that magical form, but we need to take into account she's still 19. This is just her sixth Grand Slam appearance this week at the U.S. Open. She is by no means a veteran. She happened to kind of get ahead of the power curve by winning that title last year. It was amazing. The odds of her repeating, I would say, are slim, but things are looking up. She's hired a new coach. Um, Dmitry Tursanov, a Russian coach who's had some great success on tour with Irina Sabalenka and also with Annette Konteve, two top players. And she seems to be playing a little more aggressive and a little more confident. I think we can expect big things from her in New York. A title is unlikely. Would not be surprised if she plays well and makes it into the second week and becomes a big part of the week two storylines, let's say.
0: Yeah, I can definitely see that. I think obviously the biggest name, I think most people are aware of outside of is Naomi Osaka, who won here twice Didn't do well last year. Kind of had a lost year this year. Like, what do you think we can expect out of her here here these next two weeks?
2: You know, honestly, it's been surprising um, the last couple of months with with Osaka because we know her to be incredible on the hard court surface. And her struggles in the spring were sort of expected. She was on clay. She was at Wimbledon. And she's done really not much in her career on those two surfaces. And it's always kind of like – you know, you hope for the best with Naomi. What you expect when she gets back to the hard courts in North America that she's going to start playing like herself. Because, Mike, what we saw in Miami was very promising in In, uh, in early April. She made the final of the tournament there and was really looking to be in good form. She ran into a steamroller by the name of Iga Svjantek in the final and ended up be- being the runner-up in Miami. But I think most people thought that when she gets back on hard court this summer, She would be real strong, and it hasn't happened. She's going into the US Open on a three match losing streak. She's unseated. The most interesting part of the Osaka storyline is that she's unseated and she can face any top player in the first round. So it could be a very interesting week in a wild ride for Osaka. It has not been a great year. She's had uh, more injury struggles. I guess the best news for her is she seems to be happy, she seems to be enjoying the tennis. We know she's an incredible player. She's a certain Hall of Famer. She's already won four major titles. It wouldn't be a big surprise if she does well in New York. However, given her form on the hard courts, it has been surprising that she hasn't been able to lift her form in the last month or so. So there really are pretty low expectations for her at this point.
0: Yeah, absolutely here. And I think the other name of interest to American fans is Coco Gauff, who obviously has a big success this year. She got to the final at the French Open, ended up losing there. She did sprained her ankle in Cincinnati, playing in the final there, I believe. And right now, we don't know, sort of know, like how this thing is going to impact her in the tournament. Do you think we should be worried about how far she
2: can go with this ankle issue? I think we're going to find out tonight. Uh, there's the players are going to play per, for peace tonight in Louis Armstrong Stadium in New York, and she's on the list. And I think if she plays, uh, obviously it won't be a serious competition, but if she makes the effort to get out there, and looks fine. I think we can assume that everything's good with the ankle and that her pull out of Cincinnati last week was mostly precautionary. Didn't look to be that serious of an injury. She's 18 years old. Um, She's, um, I think she's gonna be fine in terms of her health. So I think what the challenge will be for Coco is just matching the type of performance she was able to put forth in Paris where she was the runner-up in Roland Garros. It was a pretty, you know, big breakout performance for her. She's always been a good player on the clay surface and she showed it. I think that's going to help her confidence-wise in terms of facing the challenges of the Grand Slam play. I think we expect her to win the U.S. Open at some point. And she said it herself. She was featured in the ESPN cover story yesterday. She says, I I know I'm going to hold that trophy one day. In other words, she's not overly uh, nervous about what might happen this year. She's got full belief in herself that I think good things are going to happen. And I think as as you know, if she's healthy, like we talked about, I think she'll be a big factor in this tournament because both the men's and women's singles draws are pretty wide open. Iga Swiatek has been the dominant player on the WTA tour in 2022, but she hasn't been. That dominant in the last two months, and I think that opens the door for really the rest of the field. There's a lot of talented young players, and it's really going to be difficult right now. Your guess is as good as mine who might end up winning this tournament. It could be Coco Golf.
0: Yeah, who are some of these other top contenders that you see on the women's side that really sort of stand out to you?
2: I think still the odds maker favorite is Iga Swiatek. She's been the most dominant player on the on the tour. She's the first one to fifty wins. She has been great on hard courts. Back in the spring, she won back to back titles at India, Indian Wells and Miami. Also, a title before that in the Middle East at Doha. Yet this summer, she struggled a little bit. She's complained a little bit about the the balls that they use in North America that they're a little light and not to her liking. She hasn't put up put up great results. She's looked okay. hasn't won a title. There's a lot of other players in better form than her right now. That doesn't mean they're going to outperform her at the U.S. Open. Caroline Garcia just on on Saturday won the title in Cincinnati. She's probably the hottest player on tour right now. Maybe a lot of casual fans haven't heard from her, but she's a former world number four. She's won 26 of her last 30 matches. She'll go into this tournament as a player with high expectations. Um, If you look inside the top five, there's Ons Jabor from Tunisia, who's been uh, in incredible form basically across the whole season she's a big match player she did some damage at Wimbledon there's also Simona Halep who won the title in Toronto is is showing some really great form she's one of the players in the top 10 that could probably do some damage and then as you mentioned we've got Naomi Osaka unseated Bianca Andrescu, the 2019 champion, unseated. Emmett Raducanu is in the straw. Victoria Azarenka, former champion. A lot of big names, a lot of players who are going to find who could find themselves in the mix in the second week. And I think it's going to be like a lot of women's singles draws at the Grand Slam. It's going to be fairly unpredictable unless we see Igis Fiontek kind of rediscover that dominant form. And we'll know more about that in week one, I would say.
0: Yeah, for sure. I go to the men's side for a bit now, because obviously, for the men's side for a decade, I feel like it's always been like, which of the big three is winning it this year? Is it Roger, Rafa, or Novak? And this year, I mean, two of them are not there. Who knows about Rafa? This is the most wide-open U.S. Open field it's been in years.
2: Yeah, I'd say yes and no. I'd say yes, it's wide-open because because of the wild card, because it's likely that Novak Djokovic won't be able to be allowed in the country and be able to play, which is a whole other topic we can get to on a separate podcast probably, but <laughs> It's a shame, and he's a 21-time major champion. So when you take that kind of that um, that type of player out of a draw, obviously it opens up a lot more. That said, if he does play, he'd have he'd have no no prior matches coming into this tournament. We don't know what type of form he'd be in, but yes, it's wide open in that sense. It's also wide open in the sense that Rafael Nadal, who's probably the number one favorite and has had the best season on tour, winning two Grand Slam titles and 35 and four on the season with four titles still has an abdominal issue. We don't know if it's if he's in perfect shape yet. If that becomes a problem and that takes Nadal out of the tournament, then you're looking at Daniel Medvedev, last year's champion, and really an incredible player and destined potentially, I think, to win you know, multiple more U.S. Open titles. He's the favorite. So you still have those two names that are kind of anchoring the draw, Nadal and Medvedev, if Djokovic doesn't play and let's keep in mind the big three have won all three of the slams this year despite it being them being 35 and older the Dallas won two and Djokovic won the Wimbledon title so I still think we have this theme of the big three I don't know how because they're so old you would have never predicted it five years ago they're still winning all the slam titles and if they don't we still have Medvedev but I will say you are correct in a sense it does feel a little bit more wide open like Some other players could come into the mix, do some damage. There there are some, Carlos Alcaraz, the 19-year-old, who's just been such a revelation on tour over the last year and a half. There's um, Nick Kyrgios, the Wimbledon finalist, who's going to be uh, a hot topic during the week. He's always exciting and always controversial. There's some other players that potentially have a shot at this title. I still think it's it's basically, for me right now, I see Nadal, he's healthy, and Medvedev are are really the, the top two favorites by a pretty long shot.
0: Yeah, I just think it's interesting considering the weirdest of the COVID situation we had the last couple of years. And right now, you basically have three different players coming into this tournament defensively defending their own titles with the doll from nineteen Dominic Team in the COVID year and Medvedev last year. I feel like that's very unusual.
2: I think that's so strange. It's so funny. Um, Dominic Team is a, is basically a shell of himself at the moment. He's coming back off wrist and hand injuries and he really hasn't found his form yet on tour so i can think i could say that he had, does not have a realistic shot of doing much about his title defence and let's not forget, he won it in that crazy year in 2020 when there were zero fans on site. It was such a strange U.S. Open, that won- an unforgettable and strange U.S. Open that we we'll hopefully will never have to experience again. But yeah, it's one of those weird situations. It's going to be it's going to be the first thing you probably hear on the ESPN broadcast, and you're going to hear it all the way through. That three players are in this draw that, that have won the title on their last appearance. It's just, I don't think that's ever happened before.
0: Yeah, I definitely don't. And one guy who has not won a title here, he's not going to be here this year, is obviously Roger Federer, who's working his way back from a knee injury, especially coming back after this tournament over at the Labor Cup uh, over in Europe here. And he's kind of hinted that next year might be his last year. So like I doing one last Wimbledon. Do you think we get him back here one last time before he retires? Do you think is the t- chance we ha- we don't see Roger back in New York ever again?
2: I don't know. Roger's the type of guy that really values relationships and, and really has a sense of appreciation for his legions of fans and how much they adore him. And I think he realizes that the New York fan is a different fan than the Wimbledon fan. Maybe I think Wimbledon is going to be his primary target in terms of events on tour next year. I think that's pretty clear. We all know that's the place where his legacy has been built and where he probably really wants to be back and make one last appearance. The rest will be up to what Roger has left in the tank and what kind of tennis he thinks he can play. We know he's back on the practice courts. We know he's going to make some appearances later this season at the Labor Cup, which is coming up after the U.S. Open, and then at his hometown tournament in Basel. If he plays well there and likes how he feels physically, likes what he's capable of doing at his age, then I think he might want to push it on tour and maybe make plans to play at a couple of Grand Slams. Will he play all four of them? Hard to say. And then I think it's going to depend if he does play Wimbledon, if he feels like he put in a good show, like it was worth it, then he'll play the U.S. Open as well, maybe to say goodbye there. And I also think one of his priorities will be Labor Cup, this this event that he's heavily invested in with his agency called Teammate. They have a huge financial investment in it. It's very important to him. And I think it might be, it might be something where he wants to play his last tennis there just to help elevate the legacy of the Labor Cup. That's after the U.S. Open. So maybe he does play. And I'd say right now it's – if I had to – Bet on it. I'd say there's a thirty percent chance he does it. I hope he does, though. I, ho- I hope he plays all the slams last year, and I hope he does well at them. But uh, I guess it really depends on. What- we have to watch him closely this fall and see if he's in good form and if he's healthy enough to be competitive. He's not going to want to go out there if he can't compete with you know guys ranked outside the top fifty type of thing.
0: Yeah, that makes some sense here. Let's talk about Rafael adal here. Obviously, he's one of the big three who here now right now we think is going to be here, and obviously he was on a pace where he could have potentially an alternate universe been entering here going for the calendar year Grand Slam but he suffers the injury at Wimbledon has to withdraw he hasn't played much since like what kind of form do you think Nadal could be
2: in here? That's a good question you know we, we saw him briefly in Cincinnati upset by Born and George in his first match and everybody was thinking like well that's strange Chorich ranked 152 and then Lo and behold, five days later, we realized just how well George was playing. He took the title in Cincinnati, and it doesn't look like a bad loss at all in retrospect for Nadal. I think it might have been a positive and one of those blessings in disguises because he's coming back from an abdominal issue, and admittedly, he wasn't really completely 100% cl- clear of it. And I think he's still a little in the back of his mind worried in Cincinnati that, hey, I don't want to re-injure this and screw up my U.S. Open. And if he had won that match and won successive matches at Cincinnati, maybe played four days in a row, the chances of him re-injuring it, I would say, are pretty high. In this case, he gets to lose the match, go back to the practice court, get in a controlled environment, keep working on his game, keep getting fitter. The guy knows exactly what he needs to do at the U.S. Open. He doesn't need a lot of matches at this phase of his career. What he does need is a perfectly healthy abdominal. And it looks like I'm guessing that it's going to be healthier now by not playing those matches. So I think I think he's in good shape. As long as he's been able to clear that injury and he can play 100% and keep it up match after match, he's my favorite at this tournament.
0: Absolutely. Talk about the defending champ to the actual current defending champion, Medvedev, where, I mean, he has the big upset last year. He stops Novak's run for the calendar year Grand Slam. And then this year has been weird for him because obviously he has the run in Australia and loses. He gets banned from Wimbledon because of the Russian situation with Ukraine, which, again, a lot of the tennis community is not a big fan of Wimbledon's decision there. Now he comes here and I feel like I haven't heard much about him lately. What do you think his chances are here right now?
2: Well, he certainly looked better in the last couple of weeks. This is Daniel Medvedev's time of year. He really excels on the fast playing or hard courts in North America. He's won multiple titles here as a U.S. Open finalist in 2019. That was a big breakout for him, and I think he it was a crazy tournament where you know he was the arch villain for a while, and then by by the end of by the end of Sunday's final where he pushed Rafael Nadal to five sets, the crowd in New York really just loved this guy. They have ever since. So there's a certain magic with Medvedev in the Open he looked pretty good in cincinnati losing to stephano sitsipas uh, the greek in the semifinals it was a bit of a weird match he looks like he's very close or at his top form i expect him to be in great form at the u.s open where he always pretty much is consistently uh, done very well so I, I think he's in good shape I think as you get older, you don't need to come into these tournaments with titles to have confidence. He knows New York is a place he knows where he can do well, and I think he is going to do well here. I mean, you, It's just a matter of um, really uh, – honestly, I, I, it's hard to imagine him not making the final for me based on what he's done in the past and what I saw from him in Cincinnati. I think he's in pretty good shape.
0: Yeah, I also feel like with the US Open, it's also one of those times that all the tennis fans in this country are saying, where's the next great American man? We haven't had a great American man in years. And in terms of the American men in this draw, is there somebody here who you think could make a deep run here that would catch the uh, interest of the casual fans in this country?
2: Absolutely. Oh, let me just go back to Medvedev. 20 and 4 lifetime at the US Open. Not a bad record. Yeah. The, the guy is good in Queens. It's like it's his borough, obviously, yeah. right? Yep. Um, yeah with with the americans taylor fritz has been awesome this year he's been a leader for a group of american men that are um pretty deep a lot of guy, a lot of talented guys 24 and under there's you know sebastian corda francis tiafo riley opelka a lot of young players uh, brandon nakashima i could go on there's a lot of young american players that are pushing upwards towards the top of the game tommy paul is another one but fritz has been without a doubt, the leader of this group. He won the title in Indian Wells, defeating Nadal in the final. It was really an amazing performance where uh, most people thought he was not even going to be able to play the final because he had such a bad uh, ankle injury. While warming up, he left the court, and then he went off the court, got a couple injections, came back, and was able to take out Nadal, who was also injured, but huge title. He's been solid all year, and I expect him to put in potentially a breakout performance for him in New York. He's the guy... That could make a run maybe to the semis. Do I see him taking the title? It's hard to envision that, but I think there's a chance. And I think there's a lot of the, the, the U.S. names on the men's side that I mentioned, you know, the Sebastian as the Tiapos. I think these guys all have a trip to the second week in them. Some of them could potentially push for quarters and semis. It doesn't feel like the time is right for them to be winning this title yet. Of course, it's been a long time since Andy Roddick was the last American man to win this title in 2003. I don't think that time is here yet, however, but I do think Taylor Fritz leading this group, they're building in the right direction. A couple of years down the road, maybe with no more Nadal, no more Djokovic, the chances will be a lot higher of them actually breaking through and winning a U.S. Open title.
0: Yeah, that's for sure here. And I always, I have fun this term because I always like to look mm-hmm. and see like who's asleep or I make like a deep run. I remember... The year, first year Osaka won the title, she was a very popular sleeper pick and ended up winning the whole thing. Do you have any sleepers you're watching here on either side to make a deep push at the tournament?
2: I think Nick Kyrgios intrigues me. Um, he's, I don't know if he'd go in the sleeper category, but this is a guy who four months ago, nobody thought would ever get into a, Even a semifinal of a grand slam, not because of his talent, but because of his professionalism, his he didn't take the game seriously enough. And he's really turned a quarter in terms of how he conducts himself on court, how he trains, how he, how he works now, um, now he's no longer just uh, a wildly talented um, undisciplined disciplined player. He's a guy who works hard, that knows what he wants, that believes he can compete at the top level. I think having him make a run of the semis or beyond would be a little bit surprising because he's just done it at Wimbledon. Nobody expected it to have him back that up and do it again would be surprising and also would be great for the tournament because the guy just, you know, he, he's just pure box office women's side. Former champion Bianca Andrescu is unseated. I don't think a lot of people think are or, or counting her in as one of the players who might have a shot at the title. But it, but as we said at the onset of the show, it's it's uh, it's pretty wide open. She has that type of talent to break out again and surprise us again. She might be a good sleeper pick. Um, otherwise, you know, it, it's it's sort of hard to predict someone like. Who could have predicted Emma Raducanu last year? She's playing her second Grand Slam. Just absolutely nuts. I think we saw Osaka coming in 2018, but not quite like we did. I guess I'll go with Andrescu maybe and, and Kyrgios. Those may be some sleeper picks.
0: Yeah, for sure. I do think it's also a challenge this one because we're recording prior to the release of the draw. I feel like the, having the draw thing is a big help in determining, like, who can really be a win threat here. Because, obviously, it depends, like, who ends on whose quarters, who plays, like, back-to-back like quarter like uh fourth round quarterfinal like somebody like that thinks i feel like it's much they difficult to try and project the winner at this point but like we had to sort of like give me some odds on like who are you like your top contenders you feel like for the win on either side
2: well a flip a coin for the men for between rafa and medvedev i say right now if if you always got to play it safe if you're if you're a betting person with with the way the big three have dominated the slams in the last ten plus years. So I'll go with Nadal if he's perfectly heavy healthy, if not Medvedev. Women's side, I thought about this last night, Mike, because I knew you were going to ask me, and, I, and and it was hard. It was really hard. I came up with Simona Halep. I I don't know. I just she's been in good form. I don't think it's Iga Fiontech's t- tournament to win based on her last couple of months of uh, of play. And I just think Simona Halep has the experience and feel like there's one more slam in this player, two-time Grand Slams champion, never won it in New York, but but is great on the hard courts. So I feel like it could be her time. But again, it's tough to pick.
0: Yeah, it is very tough to pick. I'll be fast to see how this tournament plays out in the next two weeks. Chris, thanks a lot of time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I could people follow social media and keep up with some of your tennis
2: coverage. Oh yeah. Um, check me out at, at the FanChild. I'll be there all week, keeping it busy, writing for TennisNow.com and USOpen.org.
0: Absolutely, Chris. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it.
2: Cheers, Mike. Take care.
0: Right, we are back here on the podcast. Summer movie season is over, but we do have a lot of interesting fall movies to look forward to. Making his, feel like his quarterly appearance on the podcast, our resident film critic, John Stanko of Barstool Sports here. John, how are you? Doing all right, Mike Phillips. How are you doing this fine evening? Doing pretty good. It's actually, nice to have a night off of the baseball. But I feel like my, my Mets been playing all the time of late, so nice to have well, a, you've been, a chance to relax. Yeah,
1: you've been watching them all of late, too, because they're winning a lot, so you're still watching every game. Meanwhile, me as a Boston Red Sox fan... Life's easy going when your team stinks. You don't need to check into every game. You just know what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, I mean, I actually did the drive down to Philly over the weekend. So I watched the Mets play in Philly. Oh, did you really? Good yes. for you. Yep. I heard since Bank Park is is gorgeous. It is very nice. I highly recommend if you've not gotten to it yet. I have not.
1: It's, it's one of the few on the Northeast I haven't been to, but I've heard only good things.
0: Yeah. It was, it was a pretty easy drive. I didn't enjoy that a lot here, but since you're here, figure we would go into the summer movie thing. I will admit between all my Mets tickets, I not get to as many as I want to. So like catch me up here. What's the best summer movies you've seen this year?
1: There, to be honest with you, not a great summer movie slate. Uh, Not a lot that I really am going to write home about. Um, In terms of some of the best just from 2022 and from the summer, listen, Top Gun Maverick, Mike Phillips. Yeah. gun Maverick. I mean, mean, it's literally one of the most successful films ever in box office history. Who would have thought Tom Cruise would have his best movie ever. Like at this age now, still performing all these crazy stunts. The movie was a cultural phenomenon and nobody would have guessed it, but it was nostalgic done to the upteenth degree. I mean, if I remember correctly, you saw it and you fell in love with it as well.
0: Oh yeah. That was such a fun movie. Oh, I love
1: it so much. I mean, it's, it's got the perfect blend of action Comedy, nostalgia, like I said, emotion. It's well acted for being how cheesy it is at some points in time. Jennifer Connelly is the hottest babe alive out of nowhere. (laughs) Just absolutely dynamite. And Tom Cruise is cranking up his godlike stature that he sees himself in to the the upteenth degree. But guess what? We buy it hook, line, and sinker. It's a great watch. Uh, So yeah, Top Gun Maverick, easily number one. But two other from the summer that... uh, that are actually, three other from the summer. Quick, Prey just came out on Hulu. I'm a huge fan of the Predator franchise. Have you seen Prey yet? I have not seen Prey yet. Prey was fucking incredible, Mike. It was absolutely remarkable for an action movie. I was absolutely enthralled by it. I was like, I was planning on like cleaning the house, doing some writing, like while watching the movie. No, it sucked me right in. Absolutely incredible movie. Go watch it on Hulu right now. By far the best since the original in 1987. And I'll say this, Mike, it is better made than the 1987 uh, Predator with Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's that good. High praise. Um, Nope, was very good in theaters. Loved it a lot. Jordan Peele is just an expert filmmaker. It's incredible. Um, You can read as much into it as you want about the different themes he has. But listen, Jordan Peele just makes freaking entertaining movies, man. Like he just he knows exactly what he's doing. And you don't have to think too hard if you don't want to. But there's lots of uh, little strings you could pull to dissect that movie. And then kind of the sleeper for me this summer, a um, movie called Fire Island. Have you heard of Fire Island, Mike?
0: I have. I've not gotten to it yet.
1: Fire Island was great. I watched this while my girlfriend had food poisoning on vacation. I had a couple hours to myself while she was <laughs> sleeping. Uh, and I'm downstairs in the kitchen at our Airbnb, and I'm watching this movie, and I am crying. I am laughing. I am smiling. movie was an absolute delight. Um, it's a unique tale and a rom-com. Uh, set on Fire Island. If you know a little bit about Fire Island, you know where this theme is going, but I don't want to spoil too much about it. I want people to go in with a clean slate. Fire Island, while it's not the best movie I've seen this year, this summer, it's the most surprising. So, wholehearted recommendation there.
0: Yeah, I'll throw, I'll th- toss out my my stuff on what I saw this summer. Obviously, apart from talking, which you all agree is like gonna be like when we do the pop culture part at the end of the year with Sandra Rosa, our pop culture correspondent, I'm gonna say this is gonna be one of the things that you had to watch on this year was that movie. You got some, I'll mention that yes. one here. I'd say Thor, Love, and Thunder was okay. It was not great. Like, I, It was fun, but there was a little total mishmash here. And Lightyear, which you and I like both say would be very mid and make a ton of money, it was mid and made no money. Uh, Well,
1: yeah, it didn't make any money, but Disney doesn't seem to be in the uh, money-making business because they have a Pinocchio movie coming out, which we're going to talk about. <laughs> and who wants that? So I don't know if Disney really cares about the money. They just care about getting it on their streaming service. I don't think they're worried about making money from box office. They want money from
0: subscribers. Yeah, speaking of people who need subscribers here, I have to get your take on this HBO Max situation because this is just getting wilder and wilder right now. I feel like it's just this is such a shame. HBO Max, you and I both loved it because all the original content on it is spectacular, and now it's all starting to fade away because these guys apparently lost a ton of money. It's crazy their fiscal situation. I don't understand it. I don't get
1: it. I wish I could be a fly on the wall and I wouldn't understand half the jargon they're saying. But I'd love to just kind of get the the emotions that are going through the room, like how they can try and rescue this. Warner Brothers is hemorrhaging money, Mike. Absolutely hemorrhaging. We were talking before the pod. They only have two. They only have enough money to promote two movies for the rest of the year. That's it. That's insane. That's really crazy. They got. Uh, they got Black Adam and Don't Worry, Darling. Those are two movies that are gonna get a lot of attention. One is like an Oscar type movie. Don't Worry, Darling. Olivia Wilde directing. Harry, uh, Harry Styles in it. Uh, Florence Pugh going to get a lot of attention on it it's going to be exciting and they got black adam which is the blockbuster which everyone's hoping to be good and the rock is going to try and make something out of a out of an anti-hero but for them to be in this situation mike i don't know it's it's absolutely baffling to me
0: yeah it doesn't doesn't help them either that like their biggest uh tentpole like action like uh, dc movie left right now is just complete like hot water because of the ezra miller situation too
1: yeah well that's a whole different scenario i mean i don't know how you could put that movie out um, he did his whole little, I have some deep problems or whatever, and I'm going to get help. I don't believe it for a second. We know, know the one, know the number one rule in the universe, Mike, the number one rule, my girlfriend always says it to me. We always agree when we talk about people, you know, the number one rule, uh, enlighten me. Don't be a dick. Yeah. That's a good rule. Ezra Miller is a dick. I mean, pretty much straightforward. He's not a good guy. Like, I'm sorry. The, just because you're going to see help doesn't redeem the actions that you've had. So yeah, they're, they're in a, they're in a load of crap They're They're really, they're really struggling, but I I'm curious with you because part of this thing is they're merging with, uh, with discovery and there's going to be some new app that's coming out next year. I'm curious what you think that's going to look like, how they're going to merge the two, like what the branding's going to be like. Do you have any, any idea or,
0: inc- or inclination of what it's going to be like? I assume it's some sort of general like Warner Brothers app, it's gonna have like different tabs, like the HBO tab and the Discovery tab. It's not gonna be, I think it's gonna be like you'll get HBO Max like updates into whatever the new app is. That's my that's my hunch.
1: I think that's a horrendous idea. I think you're right. For the record, yeah. I, I'm leaning your direction as well. But if when you take HBO off the icon on the app, you're going to lose so many people's immediate interests. HBO is a brand that people know with high quality content and HBO max has delivered it for the most part. A lot of the movies that they put out there were better than they're better than the rest. They also have the best like criterion collection of older movies as well on any app. If you take HBO off the icon, that's not the first thing people see. They're not going to be as interesting. It's going to be incredibly interesting to see what they do and how they try and Combine both audiences because guess I don't think there's a lot of crossover between the HBO Max and the Discovery Plus app users. I don't think a lot of people are going back and watching 1940 black and white movies like, like are offered on HBO Max and they're going to watch the real housewives. I don't think those two things mesh well together. So I don't know how they're going to blend this together.
0: Yeah, they're definitely gonna put it under its own label, and not have it just be two separate labels at this point. I just think it's gonna be one generic thing, like, oh, HBO right. picks, and then that's gonna and that's gonna end up being very poorly performing.
1: Are they gonna do like HBO Discovery or like Discover <laughs> HBO, like there's some type of pun on words? There, it's I gonna, don't
0: know. It's, I think it's a completely new name. It's either like Warner Brother, like the Warner Brothers app, or it's gonna be like they invent an app and say, oh, this is the new name of the app.
1: Right and the and the HBO Max purple it pops no yeah. other app has purple on a streaming service it pops
0: it does pop we're getting rid of it yeah
1: speaking of uh, I mean also we have to talk about the row cancellation I'm sure you're about to segue to it but I cut you off uh, this whole thing we say unprecedented all the time that word got kind of thrown around during over this these unprecedented times but literally for a production company like Warner Brothers to just cancel a movie that was in the DC universe with that much fanfare behind it. With no warning whatsoever, and now they're just deleting it from its servers forever. This is crazy, Mike. This is this is like the end times for Warner Brothers.
0: Yeah, I talked about this a little bit a couple of weeks ago. Sandra Rosa was on doing the hard knocks from here. We talked about the HBO Max thing a little bit, and like this was sort of the impetus of it. It's like when, you, when I saw this, I'm like, this is literal insanity. Where you had a movie that basically was done, like literally all they were doing was just like post production, a little bit of post production work, it was finished, and they just said, nope, it's gonna be basically burn and delete off the uh, cloud. And we're just going to write it off for tax purposes. It's, it's, it sucks for all the people who worked on the movie it sucks for the actors in it. I mean, I did hear it was not testing well with the audiences, but like at the same time, it does, it's very unfortunate because like, I mean, you had Michael Keaton back as, as his Batman in that one. It makes, makes no sense, like sort of bringing him back for that. I think from what I heard, he was supposed to be, I think Aquaman as well. Then they replaced him with like Ben Affleck. So I have no idea what the hell's going on over there. That's, that's-
1: Warner Brothers is in trouble. DC is in trouble. This whole thing is crazy. It's it's so confusing. HBO Max has taken shows off their app. Sesame Street isn't even safe. They took Sesame Street off. Yeah. I mean, what's sacred anymore? We don't know. It's it's crazy. The Warner Brothers is in serious trouble. I hope that HBO Max doesn't change too much. I'm going to enjoy it while it's in its current state for as long as I can. But I'm worried, Mike. I'm worried.
0: I'm also very worried because, like, I'm a big Westworld guy, and I'm worried we're not gonna get the last season. Which, like, they got they got the ship right in season four. Finally, they actually had. Was it good? It I was, haven't it watched was, it yet. It's on my it's on my to watch list. I haven't seen it yet. It was much, much, much better. They did a much better job creating a Pelly storyline. They simplified yes. the storyline. There's still some timey <laughs> whiminess, but like, they really got themselves back on track for the first time since I think season one. I really was into the season, and they have one okay. lef- one left. They have a storyline set up for what the final season could be, and. I'm worried we're not going to get it because there's all this uh, hemorrhaging money, and this show is not cheap to make, and they've lost a ton of ratings over the se- course of the season.
1: Yes. Yes. Now, the Nolan name is attached to this in some way, shape, or form, correct? It's,
0: it's Jonathan Nolan, not Christopher Nolan.
1: Yes. So, that still carries some weight. The Nolan name, they might not cancel it just based off that. Also, if reviews are better for this season than in past, that means it's positive light going into five. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. I haven't seen four, so I can't fully comment, but I think Westworld isn't enough of their promotional material that I think they give it another shot for one final season. Maybe they cut it short. Maybe instead of 10 episodes or whatever, it's down to six. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know.
0: Yeah, it was this season. Maybe,
1: maybe Black Adam makes billions, and then uh and then they could just easily fund it.
0: Yeah, I mean, this was eight episodes like season three was. It was a much tighter eight episodes.
1: All right. Well, listen, I plan on watching
0: it eventually. I got to watch
1: House of the Dragon as well. That's how much to-do is for tomorrow, the night of recording here. I'm watching House of the Dragon tomorrow,
0: so... I'm catching up on my HBO. I'm catching up. Yeah, before we get to the movies we're talking about this year, can I can we can we talk about one news story that popped that popped on the radar over the weekend that just shows you like I saw this story, I said John Stanka will absolutely have a field day with this story. Yeah, sure. You can set it up. Set it up. Set it up, Mike. All right. So I'm on the Twitter over the weekend. I, when I'm in like literally, I think before I'm driving down to Philly, I'm checking out this storyline, and then I see on the social media streets there there is a Ferris Bueller's spinoff being set up here. And I have to look up the exact name of it here. It's called Sam and Victor's Day Off. It follows the same day adventure of the two valets who stole the uh Corvette in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And my question to you is, who asked for this? Nobody
1: freaking asked for this, Mike. I don't understand why we have to do this. This also comes on the heels of recently they're going to look into doing a remake of The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. These are two essentially untouchable films that that are being brought back to, to make money. I don't – who is asking about the valets from Ferris, from Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Nobody. I didn't know their names. I had to look them up. Nobody knows what the purpose of this is. I don't understand it. It's not – never, ever, ever going to capture the magic that the original did. There's not even a single chance. This is also the worst John Hughes uh, Hughes movie that you could possibly try and attach something to. You can make a modern-day breakfast club and have the same cultural impact, sharp dialogue that can tackle the different classes in society and the different stereotypes within our society now. You can make a breakfast club like that right now, and people would watch it and resonate with it easily. There are plenty of different type of stereotypes in high school now that you could branch off of people who need understandings about queer life about lgbtq stuff that can bring into a breakfast club remake or rebranding like just why ferris Bueller's day off why who plays hooky from school anymore i don't even know that people play hooky from school anymore because like it's just not a thing that is as common back in the old days i don't get it it's just why are you touching something that doesn't need to be touched?
0: Yeah, I feel like that would be like, oh, we're going to go now like 50, like 20 years after Simon, we're going to do the Newman spinoff. Like, like who asked for the Newman spinoff?
1: I don't, it's just it's, I don't understand it. And from and, uh, from what I've read, it's going to be from the makers, uh, from Cobra Kai on Netflix, which has gotten good reviews. It's brought back Karate Kid, a movie that I didn't particularly have that much resonance with, but people like uh, Cobra Kai a lot. So it's got people working on it who have had success rebranding an old movie. So That is, I guess, a positive light that you could think about it with. But, again, it's one of those things where I'm always going to think of the original. I'm always going to think of Bueller. Bueller. Like, there are just so many classic moments from the original that can never be repeated in this one. If they try and pay homage to it with fan service, it's just going to make it more cringe. I want to make people go back to watch the original.
0: I mean, what are they going to do? They're going to digitally insert, uh, like, like younger Matthew Broderick into this movie? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I I don't know. But Matthew Broderick is
1: going to have to make an appearance somehow, some way, right? Like, he can't not, right? And yeah. He has to.
0: Yeah, I'm sure he cameos somewhere in there.
1: I mean, they're going to show the back of his head, like, after he walks into the restaurant and they drive away with the ballet. Like, I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen. But it's, it's regardless. I saw it. I was frustrated. Just original ideas, please. We don't need to be rehashed movies like this.
0: Yeah, let's, speak, let's talk about some movies that are coming this fall. And the list, I think, has shrunk since I originally had this idea because I think there's, like, three movies I had on the list originally that sort of got pumped back. And I don't know whether it's the COVID effect and the budgets or just, like, delays on stuff, but, like, I, there was a couple I was, like, frustrated that got pushed back. Like, Shazam was one that got pushed back as one of the if, a victim of the HBO Warner Brothers situation. I think Creed 2, Creed 3 got pushed back. A couple other ones have gotten pushed back as well. I do think, like, that's a little frustrating. It's frustrating, uh, but I'm curious. Have you seen uh, the viral clip with
1: Matt Damon on the show Hot Ones that has gone on Twitter uh, recently? Yeah, I have seen it. I think that that clip, for for some context, he's, he explains about how movie making is very different from in the 90s when he started because now production studios are only worried about blockbusters because the only way they're making money now is in theaters because DVD sales are gone. Then it's streaming. And the idea of a second wave for a movie where there's tangible profit for the production company is gone with no DVDs. So now they're banking on the blockbusters. And right now, with all the reshuffling of the dates and stuff, I think it's production companies, like you said, with money being uh, maybe not as uh, plentiful as it once was they're scrapping these dates and trying to find the best place to make the most money possible. So I think it's all correlated together. Again, I'm not in the rooms. I'd love to see someone's financial web about how all these movies get made and stuff like that. And when they come out and who decides when, but it's, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy. And I'm just hoping that the fall has better movies than the summer. Um, That's really what I'm hoping for. Cause overall summer slate, not the best in the world.
0: Yeah, it definitely wasn't here. And let's we'll start with the Disney Plus uh a- Avenue here. They have a couple that are coming on to the streaming service here. Are you all interested in Hocus Pocus 2?
1: No. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you, Mike. I haven't seen the original. I have no desire to watch the original. Didn't grow up with it. Uh, my cousin, Megan Kenny was a huge, huge, huge fan. Um, But I, it never appealed to me. When I think of a Halloween movie, I think of scary movies. I think of horror movies. I don't think of family adventure fun romps. Yeah. Um, So that's kind of my take on it. Now it is directed by Ann Fletcher, who made 27 Dresses, which I love, uh, who made The Proposal, which everyone likes. Uh, This director also made Step Up, which I'll admit, when I watched it back in the uh, mid-2000s, was pretty dope, first time I saw it. So there's somebody who has some success in terms of making uh, very uh, happy movies for a very wide wide array of audiences, but I personally have no desire to watch Hocus Pocus 2.
0: All right, let's go to the other one here. It's coming on Disney Plus Day, September eighth. The Pinocchio live action. We haven't seen a Disney live action movie in a couple. I think since maybe twenty twenty with Cruella a little bit. I think we got Tom Hanks, and this is Geppetto. We have a lot of interest. Got some interesting names in there besides that, and the voice cast as well. Like, do you have any interest in this one? Did you see the trailer that came out the day of recording for for this movie? I did not watch the trailer yet. I've had a couple on the on the uh, Twitter save tab. I just had it piled up, Mike. Mike, 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 Mike. Yeah.
1: Mike, 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 Mike. Da, who needed this? We talked about it with Ferris Bueller's <laughs> Day Off, but who asked for? Who likes Pinocchio? Who enjoyed the first
0: Pinocchio? Nobody names Pinocchio as their favorite Disney movie. Nobody. Do you know anyone? I don't know because I I feel like that's not a studio that, that of a uh, film that comes up very often in terms of popularity. No, because it's
1: not good. Nobody wants to rewatch Pinocchio ever and now it's a live action and the trailer was bad yikes <laughs> and robert Zemeckis is directing this but like sure he's made a lot of movies with tom hanks this is going to be his fourth i think he has a uh, forrest gump Castaway, and polar express and this is going to be his fourth um i have no hopes for this whatsoever absolutely none i think this is going to going to fall completely flat like dumbo where nobody was really that interested because guess what Nobody really liked the first Dumbo either. It's not a movie that people watch and rewatch.
0: Yeah, I feel like this is going to ha- have the same face or sort of like that, that Lady in the Tramp one they put on Disney Plus on, on the, ser- in the service launch. Like it's just. Right. No, like, I Nobody think, cares. I mean, it's, it's been sitting there for three years. I still haven't watched that Lady in the Tramp movie. I have no plans on watching that movie. And also, can we talk about this? There are two Pinocchio movies coming out this year. Yeah. There's, two? A, there's an animated one, with then like a Guillermo del Toro directed. Yeah,
1: that's coming out in December on Netflix. Yeah. Why do we need two Pinocchio movies? In what world?
0: <laughs> I mean, we have, there's a point where we have like about like three or four different like Snow Whites is in some circulation at some point.
1: Yeah, but here's the thing. Those Snow White and the Huntsman movies, they try to do something different. Like, I got Kristen Stewart, Charlie's Throne, The Hemsworth. Like, I as much as those movies aren't necessarily good, I was entertained. I'm not going to be entertained by a talking wooden doll. I'm not. I'm not going to connect with that. I hope that the kids who watch Disney Plus, I hope that they are. I genuinely do. But come whatever, Disney Plus Day, is that what it is, September 8th? Yep. Not going to be watching this. Zero, zero
0: care in the world for it. I don't know why we need a Pinocchio movie, Why or let alone why we need two. Yeah. Apologies to Tom Hanks, who, is not, who has not had a great year at the movie, Certainly Elvis didn't end up doing too great either. No, but Elvis got good reviews. Elvis yeah. was liked by people. Yes. This movie is not going to be liked by people. That is certainly fair. Let's go to the D, the one DC movie on the calendar here now. Black Adam, the rock starring as the anti-hero. It's the only DC movie on the calendar this year here. Like, do you think this is any shot to succeed here?
1: It's Dwayne Johnson. So, yes, it has a chance to succeed. The dude is arguably the most popular man in the world. So people will come out to see his movie. Um, how am I feeling about this movie? I didn't hate the trailer. That's good. I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it. Um, I am am honestly just nervous for Black Adam because there is a ton of pressure on this movie. We already talked about Warner Brothers, how they're strapped for cash. This movie has to make money. If it doesn't, what's going to happen to Warner Brothers in D.C.? Like what what pit of despair
0: are they going to have to crawl out of? Like it's crazy that
1: there is a ton of pressure on this movie.
0: Yeah, I feel they only got two bankable properties right now in terms of DC movie. I think it's like, like whatever the Batman spinoffs are or sequels are. That's gonna be. That's gonna make bank. And Aquaman. Like you don't even. You have no idea what a. Peacemaker. Was, yeah.
1: Can we throw Peacemaker in there? That's Peacemaker a, was awesome. That was a show though. That's not really a movie. True, but I mean, again, I'm thinking of like the HBO Max app, I yes. guess. But yeah, you're right. You're right. But in terms of like DC property, uh, The Suicide Squad. Yeah.
0: That was good. Yeah. And no. there's rumors that Idris Elba's coming back to reprise his role. Yeah, I mean, Wonder Woman also got hit by the like, the way of the pandemic and the second movie, stuck, like, sucking. Well, the second movie was a piece of garbage. Yeah. Um,
1: that was the worst Christmas gift of all time when that came out. <laughs> um, so, like, I, I don't know. With Black Adam, it's it's interesting. I think it's uh, being directed by Joame uh, Colesterra, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. But he directed The Shallows with Blake Lively, which I liked a lot. It was a very good shark movie. It was a big fan. And Jungle Cruise, with The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, was better than it had any right to be. I was entertained by that movie, thanks mainly to Emily Blunt, but Dwayne Johnson was part of it. Um, So this is going to be really interesting. He has a taste for action movies because he's worked with Liam Neeson like nonstop in The Computer. Um, So he's going to be combining a lot of special effects and higher expectations and higher pressure. We mentioned that The Flash movie has a lot of – bad he- mojo with it right now so is that even going to come out black adam needs to perform well when it comes out in october and i'm scared for it i i honestly am scared for what happens if it doesn't succeed
0: yeah let's go from the dc side of the aisle to the Marvel side of the aisle here we got the, the last movie in phase four of Mar- the ncu black panther wakanda forever the trailer really grabbed me because they did a really good job selling the emotion of what it's going to be like without chadwick and they didn't get away a ton of the plot but it got me invested in that, in that movie.
1: Listen, as a non-Marvel guy, this trailer was awesome. Yes. It was great. Great emotional trailer. It was really good. I was like, damn, kind of wish I caught up with everything so I could watch this, but I'm not going to, yeah. but it was a great trailer. Very, very good trailer. Um, I'm excited for it. Pierce Brosnan, uh coming in as Dr. Fate. I'm excited for that. Um, Kugler just doesn't really make bad movies um, as much as I wasn't a huge fan of black Panther, the original, like he, does, he makes entertaining movies for what they are. Um, I think Marvel needs this movie a lot. I don't think Marvel's had a smashing success of recent, uh, recent movies. I think every last three or three movies they've made, there've been some fair qualms from the fans uh, though. I think the spider movie everyone loved in yeah. terms of like the, the fanfare it gave, but it wasn't necessarily structured to the best of the Marvel movies. Listen, the trailer was great. Uh, the the soundtrack's going to be incredible. This movie's going to look really good. I'm just curious how they're going to attack the story. Like you said, the 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 trailer released nothing of the plot. It was strictly just a emotional gut punch to get you back invested within the Black Panther story. And it worked, um, even for someone like a non-Marvel fan like me.
0: Well, the good news for a non-Marvel fan like you is that like as somebody who's kept up with everything, they have not really touched that area of the MCU. So you can basically go in with, with not seeing anything and still be up to date on it.
1: True, and then there'll be a post credit scene which combines everything, and I'll be super-duper-duper duper confused.
0: <laughs> that's what you go on the internet for.
1: That's right. That's that's what the YouTube 10-minute uh, summations are.
0: Yeah, you have some guy on a Marvel podcast telling you about why this this uh, random character played by an A-list actor is the most important person to show up in the MCU ever.
1: Right, or I'll just text you and be like, what the hell did
0: this all mean? Yeah, I mean, you haven't even gotten to Doctor Strange post-credits yet. That one was wild.
1: <laughs> no, no, I haven't. I've been just... There's just too much. Eventually, I need to just give up on watching the TV shows and just watch the movies and understand that I'll be confused. Well,
0: I, It's just like I don't like being confused. Well, I'll say this one. You kind of don't really need the TV shows, in my opinion. I think you're still good with just the movies. I heard the only one that you really need is Loki. I'd say yes, because they gave a second, they committed a second season. Now, a lot of these are just like, okay, here's what's happening, and it's like a supplement to the actual movies.
1: Right. Um, again, it's probably going to maybe one day when I'm just maybe if I get COVID a second time and it's really, really bad, I'll sit on the couch for eight hours and just watch four movies in a row. But I don't know.
0: Yeah, but don't don't wish that on yourself. No, no, I guess not. <laughs> I guess not. We should touch on, though, with uh,
1: Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, uh, that Daniel Kaluuya is not coming back because I believe he was filming Nope when the time of this was filming or something like that. There was some correlation there. Um, so a little bit disappointing there because Kalua is arguably the best actor in the world right now. So not having him is going to kind of stink, but he, he said he himself is excited for the movie, uh, in various reports and press junkets. So, um, that's one thing that is going to be missed from the movie.
0: Yeah. We're going to miss him for sure. And I think we need to go to the heavy hitter of the cycle here. Uh, Avatar The Way of War is basically sent a few movies running away in terror after its initial trailer. I think Shazam was right right there. They, they pulled it out to avoid competing with it. Do you think this thing's going to make another bajillion dollars that like the first one did?
1: No, but do I think it's going to make a lot? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think this movie and Black Panther Wakanda Forever are going to be the two biggest box office movies uh, of their respective time frame when they come out. Now, Avatar Way of War it doesn't come out until December. So we can't really compare it in terms of what it makes in the year 2022. I think Black Panther comes out in November, um, second week of November. So, but Avatar, The Way of Water. Listen, when that first trailer drops, it looked gorgeous, Mike. It looked beautiful. Not a lot of words, just a lot of pretty blue colors. And tell you what, I'm wearing like a teal shirt right now. I'm wearing the Avatar blue. I'm going to go watch this movie. James Cameron's sucking me in.
0: Yeah, and I also loved respect James Cameron big time when he was talking about like you know like I was not gonna rush this thing and have this look terrible. I was gonna wait for technology, to make sure it looked very looked like exactly how I envisioned it, and they they definitely did that.
1: Listen, we saw a movie this summer that waited and waited for the right time to release in theaters. It took years to make because the technology wasn't ready, and then they waited for the right moment to strike gold, and that was Top Gun Maverick. James Cameron's doing the same thing. He waited. He's baiting his time. He's creating the vision that he wants, and he's dropping it in December, and he's going to let the world soak it all up. We hope that this waiting game is as successful as Top Gun Maverick. We know that there's more Avatar movies coming uh, down, this, down the pike, um, and they're re-releasing the original Avatar back in theaters soon as well, like a remastered 4K. Like It's going to be crazy. So this movie's going to look beautiful, whether or not the story is maybe a little bit more, uh, has a little bit more layers to it, I think that's what I'm looking for. Um, I'm going to have to rewatch the first Avatar to kind of remember what happened because this is a direct sequel. But I'm excited for it. James Cameron doesn't miss. He, he makes good movies, he makes blockbusters. Last time he made his sequel was Terminator 2. Guess what? Pretty freaking good movie. So I'm, I'm in for the
0: Way of Water. I, I'm in for as well, as well. Cannot wait to see that one here. I think this next one here, number one on the list, I think for barley both me and, and you on the list here. Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery coming to Netflix two days before Christmas here. I think like depending on if we get the schedule work out with the holidays, he may need to do a separate spot just on that.
1: I mean, listen, this is this is gonna be turn it on, on the twenty third, turn it on that night, get a glass of wine, and just soak in it for two hours. I am very, very, very excited. This movie. We don't know a lot about it. We don't need to know a lot about it. We know it's Ryan Johnson writing, directing. That's all we need to know. We know the cast is Ethan Hawk, Jessica Henwick, Edward Norton, Daniel Craig, Catherine Hahn, Dave Bautista, Kate Hudson, Madeline Klein, Janelle Monet, Leslie Odom Jr., all recognizable names from various projects that they were very successful in. I am all in for this, Mike. I don't need to know anymore. Just sit me down in front of the TV on the on December twenty-third.
0: Yeah, I love the always scenes of ours. We got a title, we got that promo shot of Daniel Craig's character at the table, uh, Benoit Blanc at the table, like with all of them sitting there, and he's like going through something. Like, okay, this looks like to be fun.
1: Yeah, no, it looks like an absolute blast. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna dissect this trailer when it comes out. I love the the imagery he used with the first movie, uh, kind of all the little visual cues that he gave. I love that there's gonna be a third movie. This is gonna be a trilogy with Benoit, LeBlanc, Benoit yeah. Blanc. Benoit yeah. Blanc. So, um, listen, I'm all in. Uh, this is one of those movies where I think actors were like crawling to try and sign up for it because it looks like it's fun to make. It it's, looks like a fairly easy shoot because you're in one place mainly for the entire time. And it looks like a lot of fun. So yes, give me all in on glass onion and I have story.
0: Oh, I was speaking in Netflix was why I forgot about the summer. I did watch the gray man this summer. Thought, that was pretty fun. It was fine. It was fine.
1: Yeah. Uh, didn't love Chris Evans in it. Liked Ryan Gosling because Ryan Gosling just plays Moody incredibly well. Billy Bob Thornton was, I mean, his character. But she has a pacemaker! That's literally a line that he screens yeah. in the movie. Her pacemaker! Yeah. Like, it. for the action sequences, some are cool, some I didn't enjoy very much. I thought it was a perfectly fine action movie, but they're definitely going to try and make a franchise out of it without a doubt.
0: Oh, I think there's already a sequel and a spinoff already greenlit. Fantastic. <laughs> it could be worse. It could be Red Notice. Well, they're
1: definitely doing another Red Notice. Are you kidding me? Like yeah. they're absolutely going to. And I'll watch it and hate myself for it.
0: Speaking <laughs> of a unwanted sequel here, I feel like I've heard nothing about, but it's still on the counter something about the Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Like like, I, like how much longer are you gonna try and just keep like shooting the Shrek franchise till it's dead?
1: I don't know, man. And give Antonio Bear Antonio Banderas the bag, I guess. Listen, I, I think I've watched Who's & Boots, the original. This movie's made for kids. Let's be real. This is a kid's movie. It's a kid's movie for the winter. The parents want to get out of the house. Bada bing, bada boom. This movie, I think, comes out around Christmas time, so you want to get your kids out and go buy some popcorn, go to the movies? This is the movie that you go and see. Uh, I don't know why we need it. We're asking that question a lot with a bunch of these movies. Why do we need this? We ask that, but guess, then guess what? We still we still gobble up the entertainment when we can. So. I'm happy for the kids on this one. I'm happy for the kids.
0: Yeah, and before I get to our last, like, you want? I've actually pulled up the. Uh, I went to like Wikipedia, check the date on this one. Here's the top ten highest-grossing movies of this year to date. Can I guess them? Yes.
1: Oh, oh can I look up the movies that have come out? So, well, *Top and Maverick*. Yeah, that's number one. Uh, no, nope, nope. Crossed 150 million domestic. For
0: the year, talking about, like the entire
1: year. Oh, 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 Um, Let me look up movies I released this year because I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want to short myself. I don't want to short myself. Uh, Did Scream make money? Scream is not in the top 10 right now. Scream is not in the top 10. Oh, Jurassic World, absolutely in the top 10. Number two. Number two. I haven't seen that yet because I've just heard it's bad, so I'm really trying to avoid it. (laughs) Um, the Northman did not make a lot of money, so that's not there. Uh, Lightyear, I think, would still be up there, even though it didn't make a ton of money. It's still a big Disney movie with a recognizable
0: name. Nope, it bombed. Nope, it bombed completely? It, I don't. I think it's one of the biggest flops in, like, Disney history. Um, Uncharted? Uncharted did not make it. I know it's having a second life on Netflix right now. The, the Northman didn't make enough
1: money, even though it's one of the better movies of the year. Yes, it, 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 it did not. Uh, oh, what's up? Uh, what's the new Harry Potter movie? Did that one come out this year?
0: Yeah, it's number eight. It was another, okay, it's another. It was basically another one that like flopped badly.
1: Uh, Morbius, obviously nothing. Uh, everything, uh, everything, everything, everything,
0: everywhere, all at once. It is not. That's not there. So it has more critical acclaim. And I did look yeah. up. I did look up Lightyear on a budget of two hundred million it made two hundred twenty-five million. Yeah, so that that. I don't think production, I don't think Disney's going to consider that a profit. That's a, um, that's, a, that's a disaster.
1: Oh, Sonic 2. That I saw that, was on that, Paramount Plus. That made it. Oh, that's number nine. That's number nine. Oh, the Batman. Yep. Five. Batman. Uh, that's only five. I thought that'd be higher. Yeah. Oh, what are the Marvel movies? The, the Multiverse of Madness. Three. Um,
0: Thor. Six. Uh, how many am I missing? You're missing uh, three. I'm missing three. One is very obvious. The other two are probably not at this point.
1: One is very
0: obvious. We talked about it the last time you were here. Because uh, you said you were uh, not going to watch it. It was going to make a billion dollars.
1: <laughs> I mean, that sounds about right. I would definitely say that. I don't know it, though. All right, tell me the last three. Uh,
0: Minions, The Rise of Gru is four. Oh, mother <laughs> Yes, you're right. I should have gotten that. Uh, step number seven right now is the Battle at Lake Changjin 2, which is an international movie. It's taking a lot of money. Nope, and never num- heard of that. Number 10 is Moon Man. Moon Man? Moon Man. It's a Chinese science fiction movie.
1: Okay. The only one I feel bad about is
0: Minions. Yeah.
1: That's the only one I feel bad about. I should have gotten that year right. I, I'm giving myself a, a C-plus grade on that. I should have gotten Minions.
0: Yeah, yeah. Minions was the only one you really missed here. I did, I'm did. i looking up the Puss in Boots release date right now while, we, while we're on the air here. Puss in Boots is coming out five days after Avatar The Way of Water.
1: Well, it's never going to reach <laughs> number one of the box office, I don't think. No, nope. I guess if families don't want to go see Avatar, they can go see uh, Puss in
0: Boots. Yep, and the last movie here, Babylon, releasing on Christmas. Any thoughts on this?
1: All about this. Now, I
0: thought this was coming out in
1: 2023. If it's coming out in Christmas, that's even better for me. Yeah. But you put a movie that's set in Hollywood that involves around revolves around the talkies and turning into turning into like a new era of Hollywood movie making. I am all about it. I'm all about Damien Chazelle. Um, listen, this movie is going to absolutely kick ass. It's going to contend for awards um it follows a lot of other movies that have followed in terms of a changing in hollywood you have the artist which is made in 2011 which is about changing in hollywood uh, academy award favorite you have Singing in the rain all-time classic from 1952 sunset boulevard another one from the 1950s this is a rich genre for rich storytelling mike phillips and i'm going to soak it all in when chazelle puts beautiful hollywood pastels on the screen and just makes my eyes water in terms of happiness I'm all in for Babylon. Yes, please.
0: Yeah, I feel like this is one where I feel like me knowing you over the years has really gotten this onto my radar. Where I feel like I would not have caught this. Yes. But I paid attention to this beforehand.
1: Love this. I mean, look, listen. I, the movie, you want to know the movie stars? I have it written down for you in case yeah. you didn't know. Yeah. Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, Olivia Wilde, Samara Weaving, who I think you may know, maybe not. I have a huge crush on Samara Weaving. Yeah. All the stock on her. Love her. Toby McGuire, Gene Smart, and more. This yeah. is a movie that people want to sign up for because they know Chazelle does not miss. It's been, I think, this is his first movie since uh, First Man with uh, Ryan Gosling, which a lot of people didn't love, but I still really, really liked it. Um, I'm all in on Babylon.
0: All in. Yeah, that's gonna be one. I mean, I'm interested to see how that one works out here. So, what else on the on the fall slate that has caught your attention so far?
1: <sighs> There's quite a few. Um, again i'm excited for the fall slate there's a lot of movies that kind of fit my genre type and also some movies that uh that are just worthy of i think some attention one that i don't know if i'm going to seek out to watch but it's good that deserves attention is amsterdam david o russell getting back to filmmaking you have to um, aligned in some controversy i believe but it's a movie that stars christian bale margot robbie john david washington zoe saldana robert de niro and more it's like a crime comedy type thing um that comes out in november people are going to definitely tune into that we have The Menu coming out with Ralph Fiennes and Anya Taylor-Joy. This movie just looks right up my alley. I think Nicholas Holt was in this as well. Uh, it's set on a remote island with a chef who's crazy, and Anya Taylor-Joy kind of knows what's happening but doesn't, and there's going to be twists and turns, and I'm going to be steering into every single one of them because I'm excited for it. Um, have you heard about Blonde? Do you I, know what happened? what's happening with Blonde? I have not heard about Blonde. Blonde is a Netflix original movie. About Marilyn Monroe starring Ana de Armas is going to be rated a hard NC 17.
0: Oh boy, you tell me
1: who's not watching that
0: movie. (laughs) That's gonna be number one. That's the number one movie on Netflix, like three weeks. Everyone is watching that movie. This movie comes out on September
1: 28th, and on September 29th, whatever free weekend I have after this movie comes out, I am going to be watching it because. I mean, listen, it's got black and white, it's got color. The trailer, I think, was awesome. It's Anna de Armas pushing for an Oscar. Let's rate it NC17. It's like it has a lot happening in it. A lot happening in it. Um, on a more lighthearted note, we have Ticket to Paradise. Listen, you give me George Clooney and Julia Roberts in a romantic romantic comedy. Yes, please. I'm all in. I don't need anything more. I love George Clooney. I love Julia Roberts. Um, Banshee's at the Irishman. How do you pronounce this? I inner inner in- in- Bans- Bans- at the inner I don't know if you've heard of this movie, but have you heard of In Bruges, Mike? I have. This is from the same director as In Bruges. It stars the same actors, Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell. You give me a dark comedy set in Ireland, set in a, in a mopey, damp, wet, rainy European city, I'm all in. And that's what this movie is. All in on it. Um, and then the last one, again, just sticking with my Halloween roots. Now I like horror movies. Halloween Ends comes out. Um, didn't like Halloween Kills last year, but I still love Michael Myers. Halloween, the originals, were my favorite movies of all time. I'm going to watch this movie the day it comes out, and I'm probably not going to like it. But listen, this movie also has a chance to make a ton of money because it's coming out in theaters and Peacock on the same exact day on October 14th. Um, so I think hopefully the trilogy, this new trilogy ends on a good note, but it's going to make a lot of money. And a lot of people are going to watch it
0: absolutely definitely a lot of fun in the fall movie season also really excited for the fall i saw your tweet earlier today about how you got you got pumped for andor based on the news that it's not gonna be fan servicey
1: yes i listen that trailer for andor was great i was kind of late to seeing it um i missed it like it was a week after it came out i finally watched it trailer looks great um it looks like like an actual like real tv show that's not star wars it looks like they were making a they were making like a tv show for more people, and then we're like, we're going to make it a Star wars E, but we're not going to make it for a Star Wars fan, if that makes sense. Um, So I'm very, very excited for it. I, I have high expectations for it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just re-watched Rogue One with the Sky Guys. where podcast is dropping in like, two days in the release of this one. And it just got me so excited because the writer behind that movie is behind the show. And I read the interview he did, I think, with Variety. He talked about, like, hey, I want to get like more ordinary people in the galaxy involved here. It's not all about the mythical first family that's the Skywalkers. right. And like did appreciate the fact he's like you know this is a story about ordinary people and like what like how war impacts them. So I think like as I saw this, I see the trailer. I'm like okay, this is exciting. Like this is something different that they're not doing, and I, I think it does work very well.
1: Yeah, and I think Gilroy is attached to it. Like yes, I'm very very excited for it. Uh, this is honestly I'm probably the most excited I've been for a Star Wars thing. I, I was excited for the Rise of Skywalker, uh, not for the right, no, for the Last Jedi. I was maybe a little bit let down, but this is the most excited I've been for a new star Wars thing. Probably since uh, the last Jedi,
0: even more than uh Mando too. Oh, Ooh. I
1: forgot about Mando too. Nah, you're right. Mando. I love Mando. Yeah. You're right, right. Since, since Mando too. Fair.
0: Yeah. But like, this is like a show we vote like that. The sky, we and the sky guys have said like, this is going to be, I think something that really is not going to get a ton of attention. I mean, they did bump it back. I think they were terrified of going against Lord of the Rings and the, uh, and the House of the Dragons, that those shows are said a little before they have it come out. I think this show, the way it's structured, apparently is like it's basically three episode story arcs over the course of the season. There's four of them, so I think it's going to be fun to see how they play this out. That's, I'm, I'm I again I, the fact that it's not
1: fan service makes me excited because they're not going to try and shoehorn in lightsaber or duels or anything like that. They're going to focus on telling a story. It's going to be a story that's focused on the characters, not focused on the action or moments, and that makes me excited for it.
0: Yeah, I also recommend like go if you have a if you got time. I know you, it's hard as your schedule. Like, get a chance go back and check out Rogue One again. It's fun. Like, oh re- yeah, revisiting how morally ambiguous Cassian is in that movie because I think it. Does. I mean, we, we he's introduced to us. He kills one of his like spy friends. It's yeah. literally the first thing he does. He kills an informant, and then later in the movie, right. when, when they're on when they're, on, they're trying to find Saw Guerrero, he really just shoots one of Saw's rebels and lets him fall down and explode to create a diversion. Like he's he'll do whatever the hell it takes. Good. Yeah, good. Give me like a like a morally ambiguous hero in Star Wars. That doesn't happen very often. Yeah, because we were watching and we said it on the podcast, and again, that's coming on the Sky Guys feed later this week. Like, if you were to pick one character in that movie to make a show about, he is definitely the right guy. Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent, not even close. Absolutely, John. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, beautiful a me. Keep up what you're doing over at Stanko Stands. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and all social media uh, at jstanko99.
1: And I am still writing, chugging out the blogs. Uh, passed over a thousand written blogs the other day uh, at stankostance.com. So appreciate you
0: having me, Mike. Thanks for all the time, John. Always a pleasure. Yes, you too. And good luck to the Mets. Yep. Please beat the Yankees. <laughs> we will see. All right, and that will do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest, Chris Otto, for coming on to talk all about the U.S. Open. It'll be a fun tournament over at Flushing Meadows this week. So thank John Stanko. We just heard talk about some fall movies, a lot of fun stuff there. If you want more stuff like this podcast, leave my takeaways from the Snoopy Bowl, Jets, Giants, preseason week three, wrapped up for both. We'll see what happened there. Check out the blog over at So Check out the Sky Guides podcast. We have a little bit of a... Bad, bad season two preview. I know it got delayed, but we are have a podcast out in the feed to help you get ready for that. You can also stay tuned. Coming on the Sky Guys feed this week. We're all got together with our friend Joe Simone. We're going to re-watch Rogue One as part as part of our Andor cut. So again, the Sky Guys podcast, podcasting all that good stuff. Just subscribe to all the podcasts I mentioned at the top of the show. Also follow me on Twitter at mphillips 331 That's M P H I L I P S i p s three three one. And that's going to do it for this week's show. Coming up next week, we're going to get ready for the NFL. We have our NFL season preview pocket. We'll do our week one NFL picks and more. Until then, have a good week, everybody. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast.
2: I'm out.